0: Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul used some interesting language. Notice 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Notice. He said he fought a good fight. Fighting implies striving to live a certain way. And it's not just Paul receiving a crown of righteousness. It's everyone who follows that type of example and fights like he did. But obviously this is very different from what we would hear in a lot of Christian churches today where they teach that God's law is done away and that you can come as you are and live however you want, but still attend their church services. There doesn't really appear to be much fighting going on. What exactly are we supposed to be fighting against? Well, Romans 8 verse 7 says that the carnal mind is an enemy against God. It is hostile toward God. Naturally, because of the influence of Satan, the devil, we are against God. We rebel against God. We have desires that go against God's way. And those are the types of things we have to fight. Now, I went to public school for many years, and I was around a lot of children who went to church services every Sunday. But the thing was, I couldn't really see any difference between them and anybody else. They didn't seem like they lived a different way, or were really trying to fight in any way. So what is that really all about? Matthew 5, starting in verse 14, says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. But on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Shining a light really would be noticeable to the rest of the world. Christians are supposed to shine a light. So that involves fighting. It involves living a different way that people are going to notice. That means having a certain standard and conduct and conversation. Living by certain morals and laws. And now plenty of people who profess to be Christian, really like this passage. They like Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16. But do you know what's fascinating about it? Right after it talks about shining a light to the world, Christ starts to talk about the law. He <laughs> Christ talks about fulfilling the law. Christ lived according to God's law absolutely perfectly. For 33 and a half years as a human being, he fought against the downward pull of human nature that is naturally hostile toward God. And he set the example for us to follow. Christians have the name of Christ. They're called Christians because they follow Christ. Christ fought. The apostle Paul fought. And by doing so, they set an example for the world and they were a light to the world. Now, this does not mean that Christ kept the law for us. This is not what he's talking about here in Matthew 5. He's saying, here's what you should do. (laughs) He's saying, I have done it this way. Follow my example and do it the same. For example, he starts talking about various of the 10 commandments, Matthew five, verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So Matthew 5, verse 22, and it goes on from there. But Christ isn't saying, oh, well, I have come to die for your sins so that you can just live lawlessly however you want. No, he says, I avoided committing this sin of murder and so should you. And here is the way that you can avoid this sin. You don't just Avoid putting someone else to death. You also have to avoid the hatred and the out of control anger that leads to that type of a sin, that type of an action. Obviously for most of us, it's not too hard to resist killing other people, but sometimes it's very hard to avoid the types of wrong emotions and attitudes toward other people when we get upset and we think how much we hate that other person who wronged us even desiring to kill or see someone else get hurt having that wrong emotion even breaks that commandment that sixth commandment against murder Now, we always tend to go back to the idea that if God didn't set the laws, if God didn't exist, we humans could do whatever we want. Here is Christ telling us to go above and beyond in keeping the law. He used the example of murder. He used the example of adultery. He's talking about even eliminating any thought of sin, any desire to commit the action of sin. Get that out of your mind. That's what he's saying. But if Christ wasn't around to tell us that, if God didn't exist at all, then would it really be wrong to commit murder? Would it really be wrong to break the Ten Commandments? Well, plenty of civilizations have practiced human sacrifice. Those people believe that by cutting the beating hearts out of their opponents, their gods would be pleased. So all of those people thought it was just fine to murder other human beings. They had a reason for it. They thought they were justified in doing that. Entire civilizations choosing their own way and it literally leads to death. There are other civilizations out there that perhaps would be repulsed by the idea of human sacrifice. Does that mean that for these people who hate human sacrifice, that human sacrifice is wrong. But for those who like human sacrifice, all of a sudden it's right. You see, there are so many different ways that we can choose to live apart from God. When we are deciding what is right and what is wrong, we can come to a lot of different conclusions we can think very differently from other human beings and without god's involvement suddenly there's no overriding standard humans in one place can live a certain way humans in another place can live a certain way what is considered wrong by one group of people is considered right by another group of people but ultimately if god doesn't exist Both groups are right. (laughs) People who believe the exact opposite on the same issue would both be right if God doesn't exist. So that's why we have to start there. We always have to start there, proving that God does exist before we decide what is the right way to live. God does exist. Christ told us to shine a light to the world. The apostle Paul told us to fight and all of that involves living a certain way. Christ himself told us it wasn't just him keeping the commandments. So we wouldn't have to, it was him keeping the commandments. So we would do it as well. Romans six verse 23 says the penalty of sin is death. And that's talking about eternal death. Christ died for our sins so we could escape that penalty of eternal death when we accept that sacrifice. We don't have to die for all eternity. We are humans. We die. But we can be resurrected thanks to the sacrifice of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we can just move forward and live lawlessly. Think about it. If Christ was forced to die because the 10 commandments were broken by mankind, if that required death of a God, should we really live that way? <laughs> should we really live Purposely, the way that caused our Savior to die? He was brutally murdered because of our sins. Obviously, God hates sin. It caused the death of his eternal companion, the Word, who later became Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is alive today. He was resurrected But still, that's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering caused by sin. It directly impacted the Godhead. So it doesn't make any sense that they would all of a sudden think it's fine for us to commit those same exact sins that put one of those gods to death. We have to think about this. We have to really consider What is the right way to live? What is the standard? Who is in charge? Who determines the way we should live? When it's up to humans to decide, we can come to all kinds of radically different conclusions and totally be in disagreement with other people. So obviously, we humans cannot set up one united standard over the entire earth different nations do things in different ways today different religions different different cultures do things in different ways and those ways clash with each other it's a clash of civilizations on earth today that causes so many wars but humans are all deciding it ultimately humans are deciding to go their own way and that's what's leading to all these problems but how do we how can we possibly say okay this group of humans is right and this other group is wrong they both reach their conclusions on their own without god's help so how could we say that only one group is wrong and the other group is right no we decide What is right and wrong based on God's standard, based on his law, the Ten Commandments. We have an awesome booklet by Philadelphia Church of God, Pastor General Gerald Flurry, available to you for free at thetrumpet.com, and it is titled, How to Be an Overcomer. The preface talks about your war against sin. It says, God loves sinners, Jesus Christ died for you. He sacrificed his life for you while you were yet a sinner. The greatest act of love ever in the universe. How many of us would die for people who scoff at us, who hate us, who reject us, who rebel against us? People who are not our friends but are actually our arch enemies. Would we really die for those types of people, because Christ did. And thanks to that sacrifice, we can receive God's grace. Mr. Flurry writes Forgiveness for sin is a free gift. We cannot earn the grace of God. However, God does give us a spiritual formula to follow in order to receive it. Many people are willing to accept the blood of Jesus to cover their sins, but they don't follow what God says in the Bible. So they are not forgiven. Is it possible that you are among those who have made this mistake? You see, it's not just about being forgiven for past sins there is a formula we must meet certain conditions in order for God to forgive us and that involves a commitment not to sin anymore Christ told the adulteress in the book of John to go and sin no more He didn't say, well, I'm about to die for your sins anyway, so just go ahead and keep sinning. That's not how it works. So to be truly forgiven, we must repent. And that's what this booklet is all about. It's about repenting. And repentance is not about just saying sorry. It's about changing, living a different way, moving forward letting our minds become like God's mind. And it's just a miraculous lifelong process. This idea here about how we cannot earn the grace of God. You've probably heard the analogy before where a father wants to give his children a gift, maybe take them out for ice cream. But Obviously, he doesn't want to give ice cream to children who are behaving horribly. If you give ice cream to a rebellious, out-of-control child, that child's going to think he's allowed to continue acting that way. He's going to feel like he just got rewarded for misbehaving. Why would a father give ice cream to A spoiled brat who is bouncing off the walls already. Who refuses to listen to anything he says. That wouldn't make any sense. And it's the same with us. When we interact with God, our father, and he wants to give us grace. And he wants to give us forgiveness for sin. These are gifts from God that we cannot earn. And yet God still expects something from us. Just like when we expect a certain standard of behavior from our children before we reward them with ice cream, God expects something from us. He doesn't give forgiveness to the brazen rebel. Grace does not... (laughs) quite apply to those who have not changed the way they're living yet. There is a way to receive these blessings and these gifts to make God willing to give us gifts. But coming as we are and never making any changes and living in sin, those will not bring the blessings that we seek God loves sinners so much that he wants to free us from sin. 1 John 3 verse 4 calls sin the transgression of the law. 1 John 3 verse 4 is very late in the New Testament, and it's still talking about sin. It's still warning against breaking God's law. So clearly, God's law was not done away just because Jesus Christ died for us, there is still a standard written down for us in God's law. And God expects us to obey. And when we fall, he expects us to get back up, repent, and live differently. Romans 6 verse 4 talks about living in newness of life. Changing the way we live, living a new type of life because we have repented, we've received forgiveness, and that means we commit to obeying God moving forward. Here in the preface, again called Your War Against Sin, here in the booklet How to Be an Overcomer, it says that this is the life of a Christian. It is a life of blessings, of understanding, peace, fulfillment, and joy but it is not the broad, easy way. Jesus said that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Matthew 7, verse 14 in the New King James. This way is full of challenges and trials. It requires learning God's will and following it, even against temptation and self-desire it demands struggle and sacrifice it is a life of overcoming and conquering sin that's the message of the bible it's a message of humans becoming gods we have to choose the tree of life over the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we have to walk with god for a lifetime And we have to repent. We have to change. We have to think like God, speak like God, live like God. This is what God expects. And he's totally allowed to expect that from us because he gave his son to die for us. Of course he can expect us to change the way we're living so that we're no longer living the way that caused Christ to die. Think about that. Now we do live in a really entitled society. There was recently a soccer player who was clutching the trophy and yelling, I deserve this. I deserve this. People just feel entitled to certain things. Now, at least in a sport, you have to work really hard to win a championship But a lot of people think they deserve handouts from the government. They deserve to be given all the things they want without working hard. We could easily think we deserve. We're entitled to God's grace. We're entitled to forgiveness. But God is God. He demands respect. He demands obedience. And he deserves that. He's the one who deserves it. And we ought to give it to him. It is a war against sin. Christ talked about putting out sin and obeying the law, going above and beyond to the point where we're obeying the law, even in our minds. And Paul talked about fighting. And it's all about shining a light to the world. The cover of this booklet is pretty awesome. It's a soldier resting for a moment. His hands are cut. His face is cut. He's still holding his sword, but he's, he's sort of just taking a quick break before plunging back into battle. And it's really just an awesome depiction of the Christian life, the Christian war path. So I would really encourage you to get your free copy of how to be an overcomer at the and just learn more about the way God expects us to live and the way God expects us to fight every day. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.